As a kid, uh, growing up in the church, at the end of every Sunday school lesson, at the end of every youth group message, if there were an invitation, I would run myself down to the, to the altar down front or raise my hand to receive the Lord Jesus into my heart and pray the sinner's prayer. And then by the time the next weekend would come, at the end of that lesson, I would be thinking to myself, well, maybe I should do it again. Uh, raise my hand and pray the sinner's prayer just to be sure. <laughs> maybe I should get baptized again just to be sure. Maybe I should ask the youth pastor to, to lay hands on me and pray for me just to be sure. I've already done that once. Let's do it again and again and again. For years, instead of making strides forward in the race of the Christian faith, I kept returning to the starting line over and over and over. And maybe you can relate with this. As we're about to see in our passage this morning, Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 8, the first century Christians to whom the letter of Hebrews was first written, they were doing a similar thing. They were returning again and again and again to the starting line. Instead of advancing, maturing in the character of Christ and in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, they kept hovering around the starting line. Instead of progressing, in fact, many of them were regressing. These Jewish Christians to whom this letter was first written, they likely lived in the city of Rome. And the intense opposition that was being poured out against Christians in Rome in the first century was leading many of them to return to their former ways of Judaism. They were going back to Mosaic law. They were going back to ceremonial washings and rituals and temple sacrifices. And in going back to these things, the writer of this letter, the writer of Hebrews, is greatly concerned for them. He's concerned that they didn't really understand the Christian faith, that they didn't really understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has brought to completion. In the first four chapters of this letter, if you've been with us so far in the series, the writer of Hebrews has demonstrated Jesus is greater than all the former prophets who who spoke words from God in, in the old covenant times. Jesus is greater than all the angels who had once delivered the law of Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses himself, the writer of Hebrews has said, and Joshua, and the promised land. Heck, Jesus is greater than Aaron and all the Levitical high priests, and Jesus is greater than the whole sacrificial system. That's just been in four chapters. Throughout the first four chapters of the letter, the writer of Hebrews is repeatedly urging his Jewish Christian audience, don't keep going back to the starting line. It's time to mature in your faith. And in today's passage, the writer of Hebrews continues this urgent plea with a, with a sobering warning, a motivational warning. And I don't use that word lightly. He began the warning in last week's passage that Pastor Ed so helpfully covered for us and he's gonna continue it in, in today's passage and there's, 
as in all of God's word, there's just a lot of really good stuff in here for us today. And so I'd invite you to follow along as I read our passage this morning, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For Land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those uh, for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you permit this discomforting warning to do precisely what you've designed it to do, to awaken our sleepy hearts and minds and to prompt us, to prompt those of us who are in Christ to tighten our shoes for the race of Christian maturity that lies ahead of each one of us. Stir that in us today. Glorify yourself today. Edify yourself today, or, 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 us today, I should say. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hard passage. <clears throat> this is the joy of expositional preaching, right? Got to preach it if it's in there. So here we go. In this passage, the writer of Hebrews explains to the Jewish Christians and us what true Christians need to grow beyond, why true Christians need to grow beyond it, and how true Christians are able to do so. And so for the remainder of our time, we'll consider those three important items in this way. If you're a note taker, number one, we'll look at what we need to grow beyond. Number two, why we need to grow beyond it. And number three, how we are able to grow beyond it. What, why, and how. Let's dive in. Point number one, what we need to grow beyond in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. I appreciate that the author includes himself in this exhortation. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. 
In other words, I'm no better than you, Jewish Christian brothers and sisters and Wisterians. I'm no less prone to stagnation and staleness. I too need to remember that there's a race to be run and fruit to be displayed. I too need to remember that increased maturity awaits me. So let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Now what is the elementary doctrine of Christ? We can be absolutely certain it is not the gospel message. The Apostle Paul urges us in 1 Corinthians 15, remember the gospel. You've already believed it. You've already received it. Keep standing in it, he writes. For the gospel message is of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and then he was buried and then he was raised three days later in accordance with the scriptures. The writer of Hebrews in verse one here is, is not telling us to grow beyond the gospel. Rather, he is telling us to grow up in the gospel by advancing beyond the elementary things that he lists in the second half of verse one and two. We need to grow beyond the elementary things of laying again and again and again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection and the eternal, eternal judgment. These are the things that all true Christians must grow beyond and what we might understand the sum of all that to, 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 to mean, Right? Take that whole list in the second half of verse one and verse two. Let's just call that altar call infancy. The kind of altar call infancy that stalled out my own years of my Christian walk. Maybe I should pray the, the sinner's prayer again just, just to be sure that, 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 that I'm saved from hell at the resurrection. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll get baptized. Yes, maybe I'll do that again just to be sure that it's stuck. You know, maybe I'll, I'll ask the youth pastor just to lay hands on me once, uh, once again just to be sure that I'm in. The elementary mindset that you and I need to grow beyond is that of being so preoccupied with whether we even belong to God that we're failing to mature as those who do belong to God. Does that make sense? Failing to launch. There are no doubt individuals here this morning who should not grow beyond this elementary phase just yet because you've yet to trust Christ for the first time. There's no foundation to be built on yet in your spiritual life. If that's you, if you're here this morning and, and you've yet to confess your sin and trust Christ for your salvation, I would urge you to do that right now where you are seated. You don't need an altar call. 
Cry out to God in the quiet of your heart and tell him you know you're a sinner deserving of hell, but you'd like to receive the blood-bought promise that Jesus made on the cross. You'd like to be completely washed of your sin and indwelled by the Holy Spirit and made right with God unto everlasting life. If you believe that gospel message and you've yet to be baptized, you you mustn't advance past the elementary instruction about washing right here. You, you, You need to be washed in baptism as an outward demonstration of your inward faith. And you should absolutely talk to myself or one of the pastors after this very gathering. But if you have believed the the basic gospel message, if that's any of us, if any of us has believed the gospel, the crucified and risen Christ having cleansed us from our sin, and for those of us who have been washed in the waters of baptism, y'all, there is not anything that must be or can be done to make us right with God. Jesus has already done all of that, all of that forever. There is nothing left to be done. And so, it's time that we move beyond being so preoccupied with whether we even belong to God that we're failing to mature as those who do belong to God. Paul writes, Colossians 2 and 3, you who have received Christ Jesus Now walk in him. Here's what it it means a bit to, to mature. Now walk in him. You need to put to death in your life, Paul writes, the kinds of things that belong to this fallen world. It's time. Brother or sister, it's time to put to death sexual immorality. It's time. Freedom and maturity awaits you and me. It's time to put it to death. It's time to put to death impurity and lust. Come on, come on. Let's be mature. Let's walk. Let's walk in Christ. It's time to put these things to death. Freedom and maturity awaits us. It's time to put to death evil desire and idolatrous greed. It's time for some of us, I would even venture to say all of us to a degree, it's time for us to grab a trusted brother or sister in the cafe after this gathering. Brother, I really need help to slay the dragon of lust in my life. Will you help me? It's time to put it to death. It's time to put to death idolatrous greed. It's time to put to death evil desire. Help me, would you, would you come beside me and help me? For goodness sakes, finally. Would you, it's time to graduate from the elementary mindset and it's time to walk in Christ now. It's time to put away, Paul continues, anger, rage, malice, slander, gossip, filthy speech, deceit. Paul's reasoning here. Christ has made you a new creation. It's time to stop offering goats at the temple, Jewish Christians in the first century, and it's time to stop praying the sinner's prayer, Chris Lawson. 
It's time to tie up your shoes and start walking in the character of Christ and the fruit of his Holy Spirit at a heart level. It's time to put on love. <laughs> That's an easy one, right? No. Actual, prayerful, hard-won love toward those in your life who are the most unlovable. It's time to start loving them. It's time to walk in maturity. Me too. Not speaking down to you. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. It's time to put on joy. How long you been in Christ? How long you been walking in him? It's time to actually put on joy now. It may be raining. Cats and dogs outside. And the banks might be closing down left and right. And your boss might not like you. And your investments might be plummeting. But sweet mercy you are loved by the one who controls molecules and meteors and he's not going to abandon you for one single second so you can let your heart smile a little bit. And while your heart smiles, it might even be something that your, uh, your coworkers, your unbelieving coworkers pick up on and it's the whole thing that I think the Apostle Peter was talking, maybe they're gonna ask you for a reason for the hope inside of you. What in the world is this guy doing being joyful? Look what's happening to the bank. My God's in control. It's time to put on peace for the same reason. It's time to put on patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. How long have you been in Christ? Let's start walking in him. Because Christ has made us an altogether new creation, you and I. This is what it means to leave the starting line of the Christian faith. To grow beyond the elementary phase and to advance into maturity. The kind of maturity that befits true followers of Jesus. Many of the first century Jewish Christians to whom this, this letter was written, they were failing to launch in this way. And maybe, let's be sobered up, maybe some of us are failing to launch in this way too. The writer of Hebrews is greatly concerned about this. And so in verses four through eight, there is a very sobering warning that is issued. And Mark my word, not my words, but the writer of Hebrews. It is meant to rattle our cages. It's meant to rattle us. It's, it's meant to rattle, and it will rattle the cages of all genuine Christians. Point number one, what we need to grow beyond, the elementary phase of the Christian faith. Point number two, why we need to grow beyond it. Look down with me at this very sobering very motivating warning. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. Instead of progressing, they regressed. It is impossible to restore these kinds of people to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. 
sit in that and sweat over that with me. It brings to mind Jesus' very disconcerting words in Matthew 7, 22, when he told the crowd in his Sermon on the Mount, on the last day, on the day of judgment, many, many will say to me, Jesus, Jesus, look at all the things that we did in your name. Now let us into your kingdom. And Jesus says, well, I will say to them, depart from me. Workers of lawlessness, I never knew you not to begin with. The sobering fact of this, of the matter, uh, of this one, not all professing Christians are Christians. In 1 John 2, 19, the Apostle John explains to the church at Ephesus that the reason why people were leaving their church is because those people weren't genuine followers of Christ to begin with. This is literally how he writes it. They went out from us, John writes, but they were not of us. If they had truly been of us, they would have continued with us, but they fell away and thus it has become plain they were never of us. These are the kinds of people that the writer of Hebrews is describing in verses four through six. It's a sad reality that I've witnessed with my own eyes. Maybe you have too. When I led worship for a big church in my hometown for 10 years, we had huge video screens and lights and really loud music and charismatic preaching and emotion-stirring altar calls and all of it attracted a lot of people. And among that lot of people were several individuals who I can still see in my mind. I can recall conversations I had with them. They heard the gospel preached. They even understood it. Verse four, their minds were enlightened. They had tasted and even shared in the work of the Holy Spirit as they sang out with 1,500 other voices in Christ alone. Presence of the Holy Spirit inhabiting the praises of his people. They had heard God's word preached. Verse five, they had tasted its goodness. They had heard of the power that is coming with Christ's return, but they never personally matured beyond the exciting concert-like experience of the big church gathering. They never left the starting line, ever. They never moved forward in the race of the Christian faith, growing in the character of Christ and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What more could they have heard? What more could they have seen? What more could they have tasted? There's one younger man coming to my mind right now. His name's James. He is right now, to this day, an ardent atheist after having experienced all of that. Christ will not be nailed to a second cross to save all those who reject the first one. He will not be held in contempt like that. 
God save us. Therefore, it is impossible, verse 4. It's impossible to move those who won't be moved. It's impossible to grow those who will not be grown. Genuine faith advances and produces and grows and matures and blossoms and increases. Verse 7, genuine faith is like land that drinks all the rain that God pours out upon it. That land that drinks deeply the rains of God, the waters of God's word, the land that drinks deeply does not look the same today as it did 5, 10, 15 years ago because the scents and colors and flavors of a mature harvest have emerged and are emerging in that land. Does that picture describe your faith? Does it describe mine? Or, conversely, are we more like the untended, unweeded land that we read about in verse 8? Have we negligently allowed thorns and thistles to suffocate the soil of our hearts? We've heard the gospel preached. We come in here or a different fellowship of believers every single week. We even understand the gospel, verse 4. Our minds have been enlightened. We've tasted and, and shared in the work of the Holy Spirit while we, with all the voices around, we, we're singing. Glory be your name. We've, we've tasted. We've heard God's word preached. Verse 5, we've tasted its goodness. We've heard that Jesus is returning in power at any moment. But we really aren't moving forward in the race of the Christian faith. We really aren't growing in the character of Christ and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in Galatians 5.24, those who truly belong to Christ are those who slowly but surely but, but surely crucify their flesh and their worldly passions and desires. And so brothers, let me ask you what I'm asking myself. Is sexual immorality fading from your life? Believers, is impurity and lust and evil desire and, and, and greed and covetousness and idolatry, is it, is it fading from your life? Anger, rage, malice, gossip, filthy, filthy speech that's unfitting, deceit, we call them white lies? Are those things fading from your life and mine? And instead, are we maturing in the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Is genuine love emerging? And love not just for our brother, that's easy, but for the one who's unlovable. Is love emerging? 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are these things increasing? We need to grow beyond the altar call infancy of merely confessing that we are sinning and that we're not living as God would please. We need to grow beyond the mere confession and we need to start repenting of these things, turning away from these things and maturing in the character of Christ. When he returns, he is returning for a bride who looks like him. And true faith matures in this way. True faith does. In next week's passage, we're gonna see the writer of Hebrews just lavishing these Jewish Christians with assurance. This is a warning here. And it's one that stirs up the Holy Spirit, motivating muscles of, oh man, you know what? I've been too comfortable for too long. I'm gonna start asking you, Lord, to help me put to death what's worldly in me. It's time. It's time. Point number two, why we need to grow beyond it. Point number three, how. Wouldn't that be good to know? Well, let's just end and we'll pray and, and, and we'll sing, right? No, no, no. The plea in verse one, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine, the elementary phase, let us leave the altar call infancy that so many of us have been cyclically staying in and let us grow up into maturity. There's the plea. Now here's the how, verse three, and this we will do if we roll up our sleeves and we just rely on ourselves to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. No, no, no. This we will do if God permits. God is never not sovereign in the entire salvation process. He is never not utterly sovereign. And this we will do. We'll do all of this if God permits. You know what this brings up in my mind is both praise and petition. Here's what I mean by that. Let's start with praise. Brother or sister, this might be a question to have if you're married, have your spouse answer or your children if you have kids or a close friend. This might be a question to ask them, but have you grown at all in the last five, 10 years? Are you watching where your eyes travel more before you leave your house? Are you praying that, that God would, would, would not lead you into temptation but deliver you from evil? Are you growing in a genuine love for people who are hard to love? Are you growing at all? Just a smidgen. Just a, do you see just a little difference between you today and you last year? I bet you do. I bet you do if you look hard, genuine believer, and praise the Lord for it because he's doing that. He is finishing what he has started in you. It's a slow trickle sometimes. Just ask my wife as she watches me. It's slow. But if you can look back on your life and if you can see some growth, look, keep going. 
and keep trusting the Holy Spirit. Don't relax on the haunches. The same, same to me. But if we can see any growth whatsoever, hallelujah, that is the Lord. He has permitted and willed and worked, and he is doing that. We gotta give glory where glory is due. How about this? Are you being prodded in your heart this morning that growth awaits you, that the deep end of maturity awaits you? Are you being prodded? Are you being struck by that? Is that fishing around in your mind? Are you thinking, gosh, yeah, I gotta, right there. The fact that you are being prodded, that's the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit inviting you, permitting you, willing that you would step into away from the elementary altar call infancy and, and swim out into the deep end of growing in Christ-likeness and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Praise him. Praise him that he's prodding you right now. God is not only the saver of our souls, he is the sanctifier of our souls. If we recognize our need for growth, if we recognize that we can't stay where we are, it's because God is currently revealing that to us. There's a miracle at work right now. So now, here's what we do. We cry out to him. And if you're not feeling the prodding, if you're not feeling in your heart right now, oh gosh, I gotta get after it. I gotta really start trusting the Lord so, so that I can be, be wooed away from the altar call infancy and really begin to walk in him. If, if, if you're not even feeling, you know what? Here, here's the thing. Let's just ask him to do that in us. Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you lead us, would you permit us to taste and see how good you are, how much freedom there is to be enjoyed. And Lord, would you woo us out into the deep end of walking in Christ, of walking in him. Petition him to move us from acknowledgement to action. Here's an exercise you and I might do. We might get out a piece of paper and make a list of all the areas in our lives in which we need to grow. Well, I've been struggling with that for years and years and years and years, and I have made no progress. Okay, let's write that one down. Oh, this over here, what? You know, this two years ago was a blind spot for me, but now it's, it's begin, I'm beginning to see it, and I think I'm making, I'm gonna write that down. This, that, and the other. All the fruit of the Spirit that I wanna grow in, all these other things that Paul writes in Colossians and Ephesians and Romans that I need to be putting to death, I need to write those things down and get them on paper right in front of my eyes, and then... I need to move into petition and I need to start asking the Lord to give me victory in these areas. Give it to me, Lord. Help me to overcome, to put these things to death. Help me to blossom in the fruit of your Holy Spirit in these ways. Help me, help me, help me. Do you have wandering, wayward sons and daughters Wandering wayward mothers and fathers, wandering wayward neighbors, coworkers and friends, they may be proclaiming to be Christians, but maybe we need to start really petitioning. We need to really start petitioning. Maybe we need to call up all the people in our community group and say, you know what, guys, tomorrow during lunch, how about, would you, would you be so bold as to join me? Let's fast over lunch. 
And here's a list of names. Let's throw them out on group me here. Here's a list of names. You know what? We're going to go to bat and we're going to petition he who permits people to come to him to move in their hearts and bring them to him. That would be a really good exercise. It would do us much good. Let us leave the elementary doctrine, the elementary mindset, and let us, by the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us, let us go on to maturity. Yes and amen. amen. Would you pray with me? And then we'll continue to sing. Yes, Father, permit us to do what this discomforting warning urges us to do. What you've designed it to do is to awake our, awaken our sleepy hearts and minds, and I pray that you might do that in us and prompt us, not under, not under the... Uh, the misunderstanding that we are growing to gain your approval. We are growing because we have your approval and we get to move beyond that altar call infancy of being so preoccupied with whether we belong to you that we're not getting to work as those who belong to you. And I pray that you would teach us the difference and help us. I pray for any in here who have yet to even embrace the elementary phase of the Christian life. I pray, Lord, that they might confess their sin, their deserving of hell, and trust that Christ in his life, death, and resurrection has done all that is needed for saving and securing and bringing them into everlasting life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.